everyone. Welcome back to Make It Happen Mondays, where we talk about sales, business, entrepreneurship, personal growth, mental health, and everything in between with guests who I truly respect and I think make a positive impact on the world around us. And what you're about to listen to here is a masterclass in negotiations. Mark Raffin is the CEO of Negotiations Ninja, a sales training company that trains sales professionals on how to negotiate specifically with procurement. Now, what makes Mark special and so unique is that he used to work in procurement, so he knows all their tricks and how to work with them most effectively. In this episode, we start by getting Mark's opinion on the current state of negotiations and how it's evolved over the years and discuss the different methodologies and why it's really dangerous to get stuck on using just one. He breaks down why the win-win mentality is actually a bad thing in negotiations and highlights some of the areas where he agrees and disagrees with one of the most well-known negotiators in the world, Chris Voss, who wrote Never Split the Difference. We then talk about negotiating when you have a nice-to-have solution versus a must-have solution, the value of knowing your walkaway line, and the impact time has on negotiations. This episode is jam-packed with tips, techniques, and approaches that you can use to improve your negotiation skills today. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Let's make it happen. What's happening, Make It Happen family? Big shout out to our partners today, Gong, Vidyard, and Chili Piper. Gong's data is more than valuable. It's cornerstone in any organization looking to collect the data that's going to tell them where they can improve and where they need to spend their time making changes. Vidyard makes it easy for people to use videos anywhere. No matter whether you're sending videos in email or on social media, posting them somewhere, or sending them in a DM, Vidyard has got you covered. Our friends at Chili Piper are so much fun to be around. They make it easy for people to get on your calendar. And every sales rep has got to have this function locked in. It's one of the most important things we can do as a seller. How can I get you on my calendar easily? Chili Piper can make that happen for you. Be sure that you're checking out all these great tools. And now let's pass it over to John to find out who's joining him today. See you soon, everybody. Mark Raffin, how are you, my friend? It's been a long time. I'm so pleased to be with you, man. It has been a long time. But I always see your content online, so I feel like I'm... I'm always on top of what you're on, what you're doing, and what your team's doing. So, by the way, kudos, man! Your content, content's been killing it lately. I Thanks, love it. man. We're trying. I think we're. You're actually going to see. I mean, by the time this gets gets launched, we do, we're doing a whole rebrand too. So, um, re, oh, it's funny nice. because we've evolved from uh, Jay Barrows, which was me, right? That's when I first started yep. as a solo, you know, guy, and then got a few people on board, and we had to get away from it being me personally. Like when we got Morgan yes. on board and everything else, so we changed to JB Sales. And now we're going to sell better by JB Sales. So you're going to see a whole new brand. You're going to see. Yeah, a whole I love new... that new branding. Yeah, right? thanks. sell better so, stuff looks awesome. Yeah, we're trying, man. You know, it's just trying to get better. You know, trying to improve, trying to stay ahead of what's going on right now. It's it's um it's really interesting what's happening, as you know, in the content space as far as the crap that's out there. I mean. Look, there's a lot of good stuff out there, but there's so many people out there talking stuff that just is sounds really good. And I think we're going to get that into that today. Um, but you really, when you peel it back, it, you know, you look at some of these people who are giving these tips and you look at their LinkedIn profiles and you realize like they haven't really sold anything in their entire life. You know what I mean? So it's like, how can I take advice from you when you've really never done this, even though it sounds really good when you put it on a little TikTok video or anything like that. So, um, yeah, but yeah, it's, Man, it's yeah, we, Holy smoke. we could have like a whole separate interview about that. Oh, place, trust man. me. We will. What a gong. We show. will. I don't get I, it. I'm going to, I think I'm quite frankly, I'm going to think I'm going to do a webinar on it. I think I'm going to do a webinar awesome. and I'm going to have 
you, Josh Braun, and a few other people come on, and we're going to talk about it and 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 talk about the real value of it is what it is because I I am scared of that platform, quite frankly, um, and I I don't see a ton of value in it, but we'll see. I got another couple of months on my little experiment that I'm doing with them, so. Anyways, for those of the audience that does not know Mark, um, you've been on, I think you came on a long time ago, right? Probably a couple of years back. Yeah. Um, Mark, give a little background, Negotiations Ninja, but where are you coming from? Because you have a very unique um, kind of niche here in the negotiations world that I love. So tell the audience a little bit about the background and what you're doing these days. Yeah. I mean, all of your audience are at least, I would say, probably say most of your audience are all sales yeah, people, right? And for the salespeople that are listening in right now, I come from the dark side. <laughs> I come from the other side of the conversation. I'm from the procurement world, baby. Yeah, it's uh, that's my background. That's where I've I grew up. Right? Yeah. Let's let's hear it. Let's. Boo! This guy sucks. We don't want to hear this guy talk. No, yeah, that's that's been my life. I actually started my career out in sales and then moved into procurement. And um, about four ish plus years ago, started Negotiations Ninja, which is. Uh, a training and coaching organization that's designed to help people level up their negotiation skill sets. And the entire purpose of that is so that people can get more value out of their negotiations. And I think so often in negotiations, we settle for significantly less than we should because we're so afraid of damaging the relationship or the deal or losing the deal that it's this fear is so pervasive in what we do but it's primarily because we don't have the tools and the skill sets to get us through to the other side and get more value. And that's been our mission for quite some time now to make sure that people are getting better value. Love it. And I think that, you know, I've always said that the, the best negotiation tool that you can have is a big fat pipeline, right? Because yes. by putting yourself in a position where you want the business, but you don't need it, then you can quote unquote, negotiate the right way. Because now you don't, you you know, you're not desperate. You don't give away that discount. You don't try to push them to close the end of the month because you can do it in a much more natural fashion. And I think that's one of the the things that frustrates me a lot about real negotiations. And I'd love your insights on this is, you know, when all's everything being equal and there's no like pressure to get the deal done type of stuff, I think negotiation takes on a much more natural uh, flow. Whereas the pressures that we put from a business standpoint, monthly end, quarterly end, and how we've conditioned the prospects and our clients to wait until the end of the month, wait until the end of the year. I mean, it's, it, it kills me when reps use the end of the month discount, right? The proactive end of, hey, you know, if you sign, but I'm like, God, would you just stop that shit? Everybody knows the discount doesn't go away. It's like, oh, sorry. Right. Like, what did your profitability change over the weekend? Shut up. Yeah. <clears throat> and by the way, if I don't really need your product, then fine. I'll wait till the end of next quarter and I'll make it even harder for yes, you. you exactly. So talk to me about kind of, let's, let's macro out a little bit here about, I love your kind of, with where we are in, in, in sales and kind of today's world, what's your kind of overarching view of negotiations? Healthy, unhealthy? Are we headed in the right direction or wrong direction? Is it situational? Give me some kind of just a, a overview and then let's dive into some of the details here. I think we're in a good spot in the quality and volume of content that is being produced in the negotiation world. I think there's still a lot of work that needs to be done around maybe some of the finer nuances that exist. But overall, the information is good. What I see a lot of people falling into the trap of is that they get stuck to a particular 
method. Mm. They get stuck to, and it almost becomes ideological, right? Dogmatic, in like almost religious yeah. in a way, right? Like people are like, "Oh, I believe in this method," right. or "I believe in that method." And when I see those kinds of things, it 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 makes my heart beat fast because negotiation, like sales, is a practice, yeah. meaning there is no one way to do something. And each situation that you're going into is going to be unique. You cannot apply the same things that you need and want from one negotiation to the next negotiation because your person, the counterparty that you are negotiating with is going to be different. The industry that they're in is going to be different. The company that they're negotiating on behalf of is going to be different. The market or the geography that you're negotiating within may also be different. And so for us to try and apply the same needs and wants from one negotiation to the other negotiation is challenging. Sure, you can have the same sort of strategy, but that doesn't necessarily mean that your the things that you want to try and achieve out of that negotiation are different. I mean, we've seen it. The market has changed so much, especially in the SaaS world, right? We've seen so much change that it would be very foolish to apply the same needs from eight to 10 months ago to yeah. today. You're going you're gonna to have different outcomes. And so I, the biggest piece of caution that I would throw out to a lot of people is don't get entrenched in one way. Don't get entrenched in one ideology. I mean, the, the main ideology that we see all the time is this whole concept of win-win, yeah. <laughs> for example, yeah. right? Which sounds great, by the way. It sounds amazing. We hear we hear it because, and, and we want to do it because it sounds fair. Like you win and I win, and that sounds fair. But what is fair really? Fair is based on what your perception of what mm -hmm. fair is, and also what my perception of what fair is. And those things may not necessarily align. And so when I say, well, this is a fair deal, you may say to me, no, it's not. This deal fucking sucks. <laughs> I don't want this yeah. deal. Actually, I think. And so that's a big problem. Doesn't Chris Voss say that fair is like the four letter word in negotiations? Because it's, it's something like we all as human beings want to fundamentally be fair. So like, uh, I think I, if I remember this correctly, he talks about if you deliver it as, I think this is a fair offer, you're basically putting the other person in a position to yeah. say that you're not being fair. So you're automatically putting them in a, in an awkward spot because you're coming from a, Hey, I think this is fair. And so is that right. a, like, so let, just on that specific one, is that, what do you think about the word, just using the word fair in a negotiation? It's very dangerous. It's incredibly dangerous. And then I would, there's a lot of things that I don't agree with Chris Voss on. We, we yeah. can get into that, but there's a lot of things that I do agree yeah. with him on. And the one thing that I think he's very, very clear on, very consistent on is the imposition of your perspective of what fair is. Yeah. Because when you say those things, you're imposing your viewpoint on that yeah. person, and that may not, you're you're immediately creating a sense of yeah. conflict when that Definitely. happens. Because as long as that person really understands what they need or want to achieve out of that negotiation, they're going to immediately look at that and go, "Well, it may sound fair right. for you, but it's not fair for me." 
And now we're in a conflict situation instead of exploring what may be some things that we can get common ground on to drive for a mutually beneficial outcome. And so I think the whole idea of FAIR is, is really, really scary. But that's also what is sort of the foundation of the whole concept of win-win because w what is a win-win? I mean, even the word doesn't make a lot of sense, right? Because if you win and I win, that's really just right. a tie. Yeah. And that's yeah. not going to – there is going to be someone, by the way, let's get real about this. There is going to be someone who is going to get more value out no of the question. negotiation. That's reality. Yeah. And so the problem that I have with a lot of these concepts is they deal with the idyllic right. state of what we want negotiation to be like. Because, we, yeah, we want everyone to come away with equal value and we all get along and sing kumbaya and let's all hold right. hands. Sure, that sounds great, but it's just not reality because you're making the assumption, first of all, that the counterparty is going to be rational and reasonable <laughs> yeah. with you. That, and that's a big, that's no, that's a big assumption. You know what I mean? Like yeah. most people walk in with an agenda, no question about it. And, and that's one thing I... That's Absolutely. I, you know, with the win-win, and I'm gonna I'll bring up Chris Voss. Like, you know, yes, we want a win-win ultimately, okay, but you know, it doesn't mean we get everything. But the the scary part is when people walk into the negotiations saying they want a win-win. Yes. Like that should be a massive yeah. red flag because what the likelihood is, yeah. is they're gonna inflate whatever they're bringing to the table and they're gonna give up down to what they actually wanted anyways. And you're gonna start with what you had and you're gonna go below that, and so it's gonna seem like a win-win because they've given up a certain amount, but they really didn't give up that stuff anyways. I mean, I used to put stuff in my negotiations just to give away anyways, to make you feel good. You know, for instance, I used to have in my contracts yeah. when I was selling at my first company, uh, I used to put net 20 terms and they, and it was odd. Right. And they'd always get redlined. They'd be like net 20. Yeah. I'd be like, well, you know, I'm a small business and you know, net, you know, net 30 is really net 60 and you know, that type of thing. So I try to trunk, you know, yes. truncate that a little bit, but it was, it was not something I'd never gave a shit about. It was like, okay, fine. Net 30. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's but it was, a, it was a give. Yeah. So I could put, but it makes make them, them feel, feel good because I was letting you know that I was giving you something and, and I was, you know, whatever it was, but it wasn't, it was manufactured. You know, I was, I was doing it because I, I yeah. needed something to give away to make you feel like it, you were getting something out of that. Yeah, exactly. Win-win presupposes that we can be fully or should be fully transparent <laughs> with each other. Please. That's dangerous, Please. man, because if I'm fully transparent with you about where my business is and what I want to achieve and you're fully trans, like now we're, now we not only do we need to be fully transparent? But if we are fully transparent, we need to completely trust yeah. the counterparty that they're not going to do anything malicious with that well, information. In, even worse, That's even crazy. worse, we don't have to just trust them. We have to trust their entire organization because they might yes. be honest. They might be transparent. Yes. But when they bring in procurement, when they bring in leadership, when they bring in anybody else, they're not. And, and all that work we did to build that rapport is now getting through. I mean, how many times have you gone through a negotiation with somebody where you thought everything was right, you were on the same page, and then somebody else came in and basically kicked the shit out of you with no context? And this is, where, this is why sales reps hate procurement the most, is because if we don't involve them in the process, then they do their job. And their job is to get the best yes. value out of the – and so there's Absolutely. no context to it. So they're going to beat the shit out of you no matter what you did to get there. That's why discounting yeah. is such a dangerous game because nobody looks at discounting as, oh, thanks for getting us there. It's like once you get to that point, that's now the negotiations point. Now I'm going from there down. Forget about, you know, oh, thanks for doing, you know, four discounts up until this point. Now it's my turn. I'm going even lower than that. Yeah, exactly correct. And I think that, I mean, 
this is a really great segue into this whole idea of reciprocity mm -hmm. that exists. I'm very cautious with the idea of reciprocity in negotiations because they're in your, I would say in your personal life, sure, right? Like with your partner, with your kids, at personal relationships with family, fine. I'm not going to jump into those conversations because I'm not a psychologist and right. I can't comment on that. But when it comes to negotiation, when you concede something in a negotiation and you don't, and you expect the counterparty to give you something in return, you're an idiot. Yeah. Don't do that. You must ask. Like you, you give and then expect no. to get something in return. It's no. not going to happen because I'll tell you what happens because I'm a procurement person and I did this for a living for a very long time. If you as a salesperson give me a discount and expect me to give you better terms on something else in return, I'm just going to ask you for yeah. more. I'm not going to give you shit. There's nothing that's nope. going to come. I promise you this. So instead of conceding something and then expecting something in return, make sure that when you concede, you make your concessions conditional on getting <laughs> something go. in return. If I give you this thing, I need X, Y, and Z in return for those things. Can you get me that? Yes, no. Great example for you. I, I sell to procurement yeah. for a living now because I sell negotiation yeah. training, right? And I had this conversation with a procurement person the other day. And um, we were going back and forth on concessions. They said, Mark, you got to help me out on price. I said, well, you've got to make it interesting for me to help you out on price. Like, what are we, mm -hmm. what are we talking about here? They're like, oh, the reward is the business. I was like, oh, you came mm -hmm. to me. That's not how this works. You want the negotiation training, right? Right. Perfect. So this is the price. Well, help me out on the price. Why? Tell me what it is you're going to give me. Let me, I will yeah. suggest a few things to help you out on price, right? You prepay me. I will help you out on price. You sure. prepay me for these services. I'll, well, well, that doesn't seem like a win-win. I was like, well, what's your definition of win-win? Right. And then she's like, well, I want to feel like I've won. I said, and what about me? If you really believe in win-win, then, and I was like, aha, exactly. Win-win's a concept that everyone yeah. talks about and no one actually does because it's a great sounding tagline. Yeah, I see. And that's why the reciprocity thing, I think that, that nuance though that you mentioned is reciprocity is real. It's actually a human condition, but it can't be expected because, and, and it's, yes. and, and there's also an immediacy to it in the sense that if I do a bunch, if, if I ask you for a bunch of things right now and you give them to me and then Five days later, you try to get something in return right. from me. I'm not going right. to, I'm not equal now. And you're going to be mad because you remember all the stuff you gave away to me beforehand. Now you feel like I owe you something. So there's an immediacy to the reciprocity and there's a skill to changing reciprocity from quid pro quo to reciprocity and leveraging it, right? Because quid pro quo is, right. um, you want a better price, fine. I will not give you a better price unless you give me this, right? And that's contentious, that's right. an argument, that's uh, beating each other up. But if uh, what I you know, nuance train on is, yeah, hey Mark, look, I'm thrilled to, you know, yeah, I, look, I wanna give you a better pricing here. In order for me to do that, this is what I need in return from you. Like basically right, in order exactly. for me to give you exactly then I even over index it. I'm like, Mark, I want to give you exactly what you're looking for. Okay. I really do. 
in order for me to do that, this is what I need. I need, I need you to you tell me that if I can get you that price, you're going to sign today. Or I need you to tell me that, you know, you're going to be able to, you know, go from this many licenses to this many licenses, whatever that might be. Right. Right. Because if you don't get it right then and there, you lose it. So how do you yeah. talk about this though, as it relates to, and let's, let's use this lens. What's the difference between negotiating for a, vitamin versus a, uh, you know, uh, aspirin, you know, a need to have versus a must have, or a, a want to have versus a must have, right? Like, I don't really need this. It's, it sounds cool versus no, I absolutely need this. Is there an, is yeah. there a difference in those negotiations? Cause I, cause you and I probably run a, across a bunch of sales reps who like, well, I, I sell kind of a nice to have, it's not really a must have. It's a nice to have. And we can peel back as far as discovery and how they fucked it up and they, you know, should be positioned it differently. But when you're in the situation where it, they don't really have to do this, it's not business critical for them or whatever it is. It's more of a like to have, is there a difference in that type of negotiation that you take the, the approach that you take to those? Yeah. And I think there's there's two parts to this that we need to break down. So the first is positioning up front of like how have you positioned your product? Because let me let me be honest. If you believe your product is a nice to have, you probably shouldn't be selling that product. That's what I tell them all the time. Right? Like it, it needs to be yeah. a must have in your own head. Otherwise, you're never going to be able to do that product justice because you'll never be able to show how the features and benefits of that product benefit the organization and how that is a must have yeah. for that organization. So we can, we can yeah. deal with that separately. But then when we get into the negotiation, we have different needs and wants, but most people go into negotiations thinking about aspirational goals first and not thinking about the objectives that drive towards those aspirational goals. What yeah. do I mean by this? So, Typical salesperson going into it, I want to make more money. I want to reduce risk. I want to expand services. These are great aspirational goals, but they actually don't mean anything. So when you say, I want to make more money, what does that actually mean? How much mm. more money? And then how do you drive that money? Is it by increasing your prices? Is it by increasing the volume of seats? Is it by cross-selling into a different department? Is it by getting referrals from that customer? What are the things that will drive more money? Get really objective about that and think about now, okay, what are my aspirational goals? But within that, what are the needs and wants that I have that drive towards that aspirational goal? I need to increase my prices. Okay, by how much? So I force people to really think about getting really objective about the things that they can now benchmark success mm -hmm. on because most of us are <laughs> winging it, right? When we go into the negotiations, yeah. we're like, I want to make more money. Let's see how much I can get. You have no idea if you've been successful because there may have been an additional 20% there that you didn't know you could get, but you settled for five and you're like, yay, good for me, right? So you need to get very, very clear about objectively what you need and want. And then start thinking about the range of acceptable outcomes that you have on each of those things. I love it. Talk to me about the, the concept of a walkaway line, right? So, you know, I've heard, you, you think of like, uh, you, if you watch Shark Tank, right? 
I, it always cracks me up when somebody goes in there saying, you know what, I'm going to give 20, 20% of my company for $200,000, right? And then they walk out and they've given away 95% of their business for like 50 bucks. And they're like, oh, what happened here? It's like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. so what's your, I have my opinions on walkaway lines, but what is your opinion on, on walking and going to your preparation for a negotiation, knowing that there's a certain point that yeah. you just will walk away from? And so going back to your point of making it objective. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you need to be, first of all, I like the concept of being willing to walk away. But I think that that's very different than actually walking away. Mm. And what a lot of people do is they get wrapped up in the emotion of the deal and don't walk away when they should. Yep. Because they are not clear about what that line in the sand is for them and it's going to be different for everyone folks like it's going to be different for each deal it's going to be different for each salesperson but you need to be very clear about what that is because if you don't that person if they are a good negotiator that you're negotiating with will grind you and grind you and grind you until they feel like they've gotten to the point right before your ability to walk away so that they can get what they need and want is if you're not a well-seasoned negotiator. And the problem that a lot of people have when they go into negotiations is they're not clear about where that line is and then they end up conceding, 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 and then they end up with a significantly less optimal deal than they My should. whole philosophy on this is that we all have a walkaway line in our head. Whether we define it or yes. not, we do. And there's a point in any negotiations, I guarantee anybody listening to this who's actually been in negotiations knows this feeling, where at a certain point, it just doesn't feel fair anymore. Right. Where you're yeah. in it and they keep nibbling. And you've, you actually labeled this in our first conversation where they talk about nibbling, where, you know, they're right at the end and right at the end. They're like, yep, John, we're going to sign. But instead of doing that three year contract, we're just going to do one year. So if you just update the contract to that one year contract, we'll sign today. And you've invested so much time in it that you're just like, ah, fuck it. But but there's a point in everybody's. High, and then what the, the weird thing about that, that non-defined walkaway line in our head is once it goes past that, it's actually diminishing returns because now you're reacting yes. poorly. You, you start to get aggravated. You're shorter with your, your responses to them. So it literally unfolds itself. So I, I think that almost, I, I wrote a blog post a long time ago called, I think everybody should keep score. And I mean this, and, and I mean this objectively, and I mean this across life. And I know this is going to sound a little harsh here, but we all have that fair, that, that barometer in our head of something where we've given too much and somebody hasn't, and let's talk about our, you know, our significant others. If you come home all the time and you're the one making dinner and doing the dishes every single time, right? And you're fine with it. It's like, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm a husband here. I'm going to help out around the house. But every time you're the one doing the dishes, after a little while, you're going to you're, you're going to start to get snippy about it and be like, would you fucking do the dishes every once in a while? And then it's going to turn into an argument. Whereas if you objectively go into and my wife and I, as an example, whoever cooks doesn't do the dishes. So whoever doesn't cook has to do the dishes. So it's fair. So I don't I, I'm so I'm objectively keeping score here. So what are your thoughts on like that that? Because other people say, oh, you should never keep score in like a friendship. Or, but we do inherently anyways, don't we? Yeah. For those people that say those things, I think they're just not being as 
honest with themselves as they probably should be right like and and i think we all go through this maturity let's personal friendships right seeing as though that's the example that was brought up i went through this evolution myself a few years ago where i was always the person in the friendship relationship that yep. was investing right I'd be reaching out. I'd be having the phone calls. I'd be the shoulder to cry on. I'd be the guy that would take people out. Blah blah no, blah blah same blah. Thing. And at some point in time, I realized this this shit isn't. It's not cutting it, right? It's no. not going to work for me. So I made a decision at that point to say I'm happy to invest, but only if I get an equal investment in return. And the unfortunate side effect of that is that I've lost a lot of friendships. That's really sad. But the reality is I found out who my real friends are. There you go. And I think that in relationships as in business, we're going to yeah. keep score, right? Whether it's subconscious or whether it's objective, we have a tally that we're going through in our heads. And if look, I mean, you, you know this, you're an entrepreneur. If you're not keeping score, then there's what is the point, point. right? There right. is no point. And so if, I think, if we can apply that, maybe not as draconian, right? <laughs> yeah, strongly in our personal lives, but we still apply it. I think it makes a, a ton of sense. And negotiation is about that. I, I know when when we say like, "Hey, you shouldn't keep score in a negotiation." Okay, let, let's cut the nonsense. All right, we are going to keep score. You're gonna make. You're gonna. If you feel like you've gotten a good deal, yes. you've kept score yeah. in that negotiation. And so. I think it people are just not honest with themselves when they and the reality is different because we we love to deal yeah, with these platitudes yeah. right of like oh it should always be this way well yeah Good. and look this is the conversation I had the other day the person I said to a person look you're gonna get judged you're gonna get judged based on how you look how you talk how you act all of those things will happen it's guaranteed and they said well market it, it shouldn't be that way and I was like you're right. It yeah. shouldn't be that way. You're absolutely correct, but it is that way. And so you can deal with the way that things should be, or you can deal with the reality of the situation. 100%. And that's not a lot of, a lot of people don't want to deal with that. What's up, everybody? I know you're enjoying this conversation. John does a great job with genuine curiosity on these episodes and our guests consistently bring the heat. We want to take a moment here and let you know that you've got an opportunity, an opportunity to become better than you were yesterday. And you can do so by gaining access to all of JB Sales content. All of their training tips, techniques, tactics, and takeaways can be yours for $1 a day. $365 for the year gets you annual access to everything, including our private Slack channel for members only, which you get access to all of us directly 100% of the time, 24 hours a day. And then at the same time, you're going to get access to our bi-weekly Ask Me Anything sessions where you can bring real deals to the table and get the help that you need where you need it. This is very, very important. Sales reps that invest in themselves are often found at the tops of their leaderboards. Join us today and get the help you need to become the seller that you deserve to be. That URL, one more time, is joinjbsales.com. Let's get back to the show with JB and our guest for this week. I've implemented in my life a, I call it the three strike and you're out rule. Okay. And I, and I apply this with vendors. I apply this with friends. I apply this with family. For instance, if you and I are, you know, we're friends, Mark, right. And say we're, we're close and you, you know, you live close by and we hang out all the time and then you move away. I'm going to call you proactively once. 
and hey mark what's up man let's keep going i'm going to call you proactively twice hey mark what's going on i'm going to call you three times and after that third time if you don't reach back out to me it's not that i'm not going to call you it's just now i'm not going to be proactive about it it doesn't mean that when you and i get together you're not going to continue invest. to invest. And so it's the same thing with keeping score. Like that's why what, what drove me to this training, the Basho training when I took it was this scorecard that Jeff Hoffman had created where it was all the gives and all the gets. And it's like, let's, let's laundry list every give, everything that the client asks of you and let's prioritize it. Easy to give away, hard to give away. And then let's get all the gets, what we want in early and late and match it up. So when somebody asks for a five, I'm asking for a five in return. Somebody asks for a 10, asks for a 10 in return. We score deals. I gave away a one, a five and a six. I got a two or four and a seven that score 12 to 13 tells me how healthy the fucking deal is and it's just, it's an objective view of it right now the subjectivity comes in after that fact but the objectivity says oh wait a minute the score of this deal is 275 to 15 like what the fuck am i doing right yeah. now and, it, and what it, what yeah. for me what it does is it actually helps me identify it way earlier so i don't go past that annoyance level Right. Because now it's like if you and I are going through this and we're pretty cool, because when I used to lose a deal or when I younger years, when I would realize that I was losing a deal, it was usually way too late. I was so far off that I was trying to get really unnatural things to happen, like huge discounts or, you know, getting, you know, going over your head or something like that. Whereas if I do keep score. I can say, be like, hey, we're good. We're good. Oh, I'm starting to lose it right now. And I can do something about it here before I get emotionally involved in how annoyed I am that you kick the shit out of me for this entire mm. time. Mm-hmm. So to your point, like objectivity is a negotiator's friend for the most part, right? Yeah. And I think people, they have these cop-out situations where they're like, well, how do you objectively measure a relationship? But do it right like you say one of the goals in your negotiation may be i want to improve the relationship with this person over the course of our relationship great what are the components within that relationship that you're going to measure that against how many times are you going to call them how many times are you going to take them out for dinner how many times are you going to go for golf like what are what are the things that you're going to measure the quality of this relationship on it's like two like a couple arguing over like hey we want want to improve our relationship and then they do nothing right. to improve their relationship. Like, right. that's crazy. So there has to be some objective measurement of subjective things, too. How much does time play into this as far as time invested? Because, and, and I'll give you the scenario here of, of the, this is what Jeff Hoffman uh, told me, uh, which I find hysterical, right? Because he actually used to sell cars. And uh, like at 14 years old, he was selling cars. And he's, he's one of those natural born, pure, like, actual sales professionals right and he would say that you never want to walk onto a car lot and hold up the car facts and be like this is all i'm gonna pay i know how much margin you do blah 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 so this is what i right because they're just gonna be like all right get the fuck out of here like no thank you right because there's no time invested so what he says is that if you really want the best deal in a car you basically waste the sales reps time so you go you ask for the you ask for the the um you know test drive and you take it on a long test drive and then you tell them "Eh, i don't know yet i'll be back and then you come back and you find the exact same sales rep you don't go to a different one you find the exact same sales rep and said look i went from the beamer the lexus and the Benz and all these it's just now between the beamer and the lexus but i I really want to just take it for one more spin could you take another spin with me and then they take you on another spin and then you still don't buy and then you come at the end of the month and because that rep has spent so much time with you they're going to give up the farm 
Now they do it on the flip side to you where you sign it. You're like, yeah, I want to buy this car. And guess how long you stay at that fucking dealership talking to the finance people. Like you're literally there for three, four hours because even though they could just say, here you go, here's your fucking car. They go, oh, well, we'll be right with you. And your kid's running around like a maniac. And and they're like, oh, by the way, do you want the sunroof on that? You're like, fuck it. Yes. Just give me the goddamn sunroof. I'll take the extra rims on the tires and fine. Here's And now you pay twice as much as what you paid. So how much does... How much does right. time invested impact the negotiation? Timing and time as two separate concepts are really, really, really important. Focusing on time. There's a, there's a fantastic book by, um, a, he was a FBI behavioral analyst. His name's okay. Jack Schaefer. And he wrote a book called The Like Switch. And in that book, he spoke about the formula for getting someone to like you so that you can extract more, in his case it was information, so that you can extract more information out of that person and so that they will give you more things. And his formula was friendship or, um, as it's known in the book, like someone's liking you equals proximity, so how close you are to that person, multiplied by frequency and duration. So frequency, how often it happens, duration, how long that meeting is multiplied by intensity. Hmm. So what he found was the more frequent our interactions are, the more long our interactions are, and the more emotionally intense our interactions are, and the closer we are together, the more you're going to like me. And that holds true based on the research that he's done. And so I, what I would say to you, and this is why transactional sales sometimes get really, really difficult because there's a frequency and duration aspect to what we sell on an ongoing basis. Meaning if you, I know you hate these words, but if you are not (laughs) touching base, if you are not, I know you're like, I immediately knew you were going to give me that response. But if you are not reaching out to your contacts on an ongoing basis, to make sure that that frequency, duration, intensity, all those things are there, the likelihood of you getting more business is dramatically reduced because the friendship, quote unquote, or your ability to like me isn't there as well. Mm. And so um, I would I would agree with you entirely that the duration is really, really important. But there's an upper limit to that in negotiations that you can utilize to your advantage or you need to be very careful of, and it's called deal fatigue. So if a deal goes on for too long, what ends up happening is we become emotionally and mentally invested in the deal. But then because it goes on too long, we end up thinking to ourselves, God, this is the last thing I want to do. I just want this deal to be fucking done. Right, I want it over. The danger in that is that we are now emotionally Hmm. vulnerable, and someone who is smart in that situation can take advantage of that and push in, like, hey, look, you know, you've invested a ton into this, I've invested, let's do these things and close the deal right now. And now we're emotionally vulnerable, and so we decide to close right away without optimal terms. That's uh, happened to me recently. Uh, I mean, it was it was one of those ones where I was in a emotionally vulnerable position of weakness for the first time in my entire career, 
for the most part. And I don't think they did this intentionally, um, but they pushed at the time where I was. And I, and I agreed to some things that I probably would have never agreed to. And thankfully, I never signed anything to, to solidify that. And, and we kind of came to a, 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 a verbal agreement of how. And then but after a couple of months of me sitting on it and reflecting, I was like, nope. Sorry that I'm, I'm rescinding what I said I was going to do because I was an emotionally vulnerable state and I'm not going to do it. And, and it was it was it was awkward because we had agreed to it. But I came back to him and I was like, no, actually, you took advantage of me when I was in that state and I was not in the right mental state to have this big of a conversation about this. So this is where I'm coming from right now. And this is where we baseline. I don't care what happened before. And we were starting from fresh at, at this point. And, and they didn't like it. Yeah. And you bring up a really good point, and this is what a lot of people, they fall into the trap of. They think because they've, you know, everyone's yeah. nodded heads, that that thing yeah. is now agreed to. But until the ink is on the contract and everything mm -hmm. is cleared, nothing. nothing is agreed to. And that's really, really important for a lot of people. You Look, if if and procurement people will do this for the salespeople, here's a little bit of insider yeah. information for you. They will separate terms to grind you on each term. So they won't look at the deal holistically. This is a tactic. They won't look at the deal holistically. They'll say, okay, let's focus on payment terms. Boom, let's negotiate payment terms. Okay, we've agreed on that. Now let's focus on limitation of liability. Yeah. No, 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 we agree on that. Okay, now let's focus on IP. Bah, 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 bah. We agree on that. And so they'll separate all these terms. And so in your head, you're like, okay, we're coming to, but then when you look at the overall deal, you're like, wait, this something's, something's wrong here. Right. This doesn't fit right. Remember, you don't have to make that deal. Right. You can still go I mean, back. Just like going back to the nibbling comment, right? Like, yes, okay, you'll, you'll, have, I mean, how many times, and people listen to this, I guarantee is if you've looked at your champion, if you will, shaking their hand, said, yeah, yep. we, let's do this. And then you, again, you flipped it over to procurement and all of a sudden you're getting your ass kicked. It's like, so just that alone, that scenario alone tells you that it's never done until it's done. And I think that's the the the, yeah. the danger of I, the the key though is in a lot of ways, and I, I I've, I've been thinking about this a lot from a psychology standpoint. Or you know, there's a book I'm I'm going to read, The Power of the Positive No, which is when you say no to somebody. Mm. Yeah, when well, you say no read. to somebody, I haven't read it yet, but I know I understand the concept. It's it's the same thing with questions and what I train is is like you have to have a reason. You know what I mean? So it's like when you say no, but give a reason why you're saying no, it's a lot easier for people to accept that reason. But if you just say no, then it comes across as you being an asshole. I've, and by the way, I've done it before where somebody has been like, oh, well, can we get a, a you know, a, a discount? And, I, and I've literally tried. I've been like, no. And that doesn't go well, right? Because now it's like, wait a minute, you just threw up a brick wall. But if I say, well, no, and the reason I can't do that is because da 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 da, da oh, okay. It's the same thing with if I ask you a question. If I ask you a question, Mark, I assume that you're, you're going to push back on me and say, why do you need to know that? So I have to have a reason for it. So if I know it's an awkward question, I will usually preempt your answer with my reason. So I'll be like, hey, Mark, you know, about this, da da da. Well, the reason I ask is because. And once you see that reason, and this is Robert Cialdini, you know, that whole psychology, uh, you know, influenced by Robert Cialdini, when you give people a reason, they're much more open to accepting whatever that reason is, as opposed to not giving them a reason. So where does that play in, in, in the world of negotiations? Do you need to give reasons for why you're doing certain things to make it easier for the person to accept? Or should you hold those reasons back? I am cautious with preempting 
a question with a reason why I'm asking the question. Because what I don't want is a, I don't want to lead your response. I want as honest of a response from you as I can get in that particular situation. And what I think you'll find, especially when you read um, The Power of the Positive No, Yuri, and if you don't mind, I'll jump into this a little Please. bit. Yuri's big thing in that book is, think of it from his perspective. He's a diplomatic negotiator, right? He's a war and peacetime negotiator. Um, and so it, these long, drawn-out, super diplomatic negotiations with multiple warring parties and nations, um, and it takes a long time. The great thing about that book is he speaks to when people, people when they say no, have this feeling of like, I am rejecting the other person. In his process, what he's saying is he wants you to reframe this. Instead of thinking of it as rejecting the counterparty, what you're actually doing is saying yes to your needs and wants, right? You're saying yes to what your mm -hmm. interests are. And when you reject that person, you're not necessarily rejecting the whole thing. You may just only be rejecting part of the thing that mm. they have proposed. And what we do a poor job of, which is I agree with Yuri on, is that we reject the whole thing instead of saying, hey, this part of the thing that you are proposing doesn't work for me. And here are some alternatives that we could do to address mm -hmm. that thing. I'm okay with these other three things, but this one thing doesn't work for me. So I'm gonna say no to that thing, but it doesn't mean I'm saying no to the whole thing. Here are some alternatives that we can use to do that. That's his, that's his whole process. I'm summarizing it, but it's- Do you agree with Chris Voss uh, approach of hunting for the no for that reason in the sense that when I say no, to your point, I'm saying yes to me. So I'm now more open to what's next. So, you know, he looks for it. He'll ask the ridiculous question, like, would it be ridiculous for me to ask you to blah, blah, blah? Well, right. no. Right. So now I've said no. I've said yes to my personal. Right. Right. And so people feel secure. Do you, in that you agree no. with that philosophy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, there are parts – I'm not going to say that, that I agree with it entirely. There are parts of that that really, really, really work. Mm -hmm. um, and, and a lot of that work is like based on the foundational work that Jim Camp did in his book called okay. Start With No. Um, and it's a fantastic book, by the way. I think it's dangerous to always seek the no. Mm. And, and this is what I mean in terms of ideological ideas coming back to our mm -hmm. conversation at the beginning. People get stuck on this one idea. And I cannot tell you how many people I've negotiated with recently who have read Never Split the yeah. Difference by Chris Voss, who now think that they're hostage <laughs> negotiators and they're trying to like, like cut the shit. Well, You're no not a hostage to, negotiator. This doesn't work you know in this particular circumstance. It's great stuff. Don't get me wrong. Like I have a, I have a huge yeah. amount of respect for him and the work that he's done and the service that yes. he's given his country. The, the problem is, is that we apply that to every situation. Right. And negotiation and sales is yeah. more nuanced than that. Um, 
And so I would say just don't get stuck on one ideology. It's great for certain circumstances. It's a great tool for your toolbox. Use it and use it where you need it. Absolutely no question. But don't yeah. do it all the time because what happens when you do that one thing all the time? People learn how to adjust to that. They come up with objections to those things. They come up with countermeasures to those things. And then those things become less effective, which is why you need a very well-rounded toolkit in your negotiation skills. Well, I also think you have to understand the the meaning behind these, like what's the essence of what you're trying to accomplish here, right? So the te- it's, it's just like yes. any technique, like any technique by itself, you know, maybe hit or miss depending, right? But if you really understand the, the true essence yeah. of what you're trying to get at by using that technique, then you don't actually have to use it as a technique because you're really just trying to use it. And, and that's where I talk about unconscious competence, right? Whereas... Techniques, I think, are really important for, for a very specific reason. I, I'd say all the time, I play between the world of giving a shit and unconscious competence, okay? Once you give a shit, right, I will give you every technique that you could possibly imagine because you need those techniques because you don't know how to do this, okay? Yes. But the goal, but I don't know about you, Mark. Like, at this point in my career, I don't use very many techniques, Like I train a lot of techniques, but I don't use them. You know why? Because I've become unconsciously competent with them. You know what I mean? Like I don't send an agenda for every meeting. You know why? Because I'm unconsciously competent in managing a meeting with an agenda and having a conversation and guiding that conversation. You know, I don't use certain things because I just now it's more conversational to me because I've known how to apply them and I've known where and when they're right to apply and where not. But you need techniques to get to that point. Yes. I agree with you. There's there's a lot of people that know and have done this for so long that they've forgotten the things that they do innately, innately to get those things that they want. This out is of where the I deal. like if you look, um, I say this all the time. If you watch any somebody who you think is an artist, right, in sales, right, or in negotiations, yes. you're like, holy shit, they just have it. Pay attention. Yes. Just just watch. I guarantee if you break down their approach, like if you did film on them and you recorded how they did it, I guarantee you you could see the fundamentals in there broken down. Yes. They just they just make it sound so fucking smooth because they've done it so many times. Yeah. But there there is structure there, there is foundation there that they have built on top of. All of us have it. And and you t- talk about sports, you could talk about anything, right? I mean, Michael Jordan, when he shoots yeah. the ball, looks like a fucking artist when he I mean, it's like, oh my God, but Michael Jordan shot eight million times that exact exact same shot tiger woods when he was hitting that thing it goes right where it was well he sits there with a golf club a thousand times in a row with a seven iron just so we can know exactly when that happens to make it look natural but you need the techniques to help you get there you can't just be natural at it right that's right let's finish up on just we're on the same page improving so i'm a sales rep I'm okay at negotiating. i've gotten maybe some piece of shit negotiations training from you know i've read a book or two how do I improve? Like, what are some tactical things that I can do to start to really pay attention and improve my negotiation skills in the right way? Again, not by doing it in a sleazy way or trying to screw people over or whatever it is or the win-win bullshit. But what are some suggestions outside of like picking up a few books and that type of thing? What are some things that you would suggest to kids to say, here's how you can kind of move on your path of paying attention to negotiations and getting better at it? Number one, keep a journal. Keep a negotiation journal on an ongoing basis about how you did and be very critical 
of your like mm-hmm. constructively critical of yourself on how you performed in the negotiation. So we spoke earlier about identifying the mm-hmm. things that you want to get out of the negotiation, right? Write down those things and then go into the negotiation and then yep. try and get those things. And then if you don't get those things after the negotiation, play back the negotiation in your head. Why didn't I get those things? And this it's not a new idea, right? The army's been doing this for a long time. They're called mm-hmm. after action reviews, where you think about, okay, where did we do well? Where did we not do well? Where are we going to do better next time? And keep a journal. And then once you identify areas where you can improve, add those to yeah. your next negotiation and improve on those things. It's the easiest way to deal with improving in negotiations. It's going to make you a far better What about the concept here? Because I, I, I agree with this, and I'd love your opinion, is a lot of people think negotiations is a, is a, is a thing in the sense that, okay, it's, mm. here comes the price, here comes the proposal, we're negotiating. I think if that's the case, you've already lost. My mentality is we are negotiating yep. from the minute you and I start talking. Right. So like, as soon as you say, John, send me information, that's a point of negotiation for me. Right. So, so when you talk about going into a negotiation and documenting that, how do you macro that out uh, about the fact that we should always be of a mindset that we are negotiating? Um, and how do you, and how do you balance that? There, everything is influence and persuasion, right? So we're going to be at sales, negotiation, much of procurement, psychology, marketing, we all have Mm -hmm. the same base, meaning we all utilize persuasion. We all utilize influence on an ongoing basis. You have specific moments where you may be negotiating particular parts of an agreement. Everything up to that point is also part of that process. And we are influencing and persuading people to get to that point, to try and increase our probability of success when we get to the point of negotiating the agreement. Because if you like me more, and if you feel like I'm going to deliver really well, and if you think that my product or the service that I'm going to provide is the right one for you, the likelihood of me doing better in that negotiation is significantly higher. The influence and persuasion work that's required from me to get to that point is part of that process. And I think what a many people look at is they view negotiation as a skill that you learn and then that's kind of it. Whereas it's like sales, it's a practice. You keep doing it on an ongoing, there is no perfect state. I know that's really hard for a lot of people to like wrap their heads around because they want to be the best in the world at that thing. You're never gonna be perfect. And that's really hard. In much the same way that martial arts, yoga, those types of things are a practice Sales is a practice. Negotiation is a practice. And when you can come to terms with that, then improving your negotiation skills becomes much easier because all you're doing is improving your practice. That's I, I kind of always make the analogy of sales and golf. Like golf, you, can, you can't hit a zero, right? Which is perfect, <laughs> which would be perfect. Like I, I, I hit a zero, like, like that is a hundred percent. You always can get better and you're kind of coming, but you will, you will reach a level of, of 
very good and you can stay there for a while, but you'll never yes. be perfect. And so it's the same thing with sales and negotiations, which is why picking up on little nuggets and trying small things and reading a book here or there or applying one of these, you know, things that we even one of these things that we've talked about today is like, okay, let me let me just try that. Let me try to ask this question. Let me try to, you know, hold that line a little bit more. Let me try to be more conscious earlier in the sales process of what I've given away to get to this point. Right. All those things and and the consciousness of it, right, is is critical. And because that it's that going back to that unconscious competence, that model there. It's like, I want to be consciously competent in negotiations, but you have to be unconsciously yes. competent, right? I'm sorry. You have to be um, consciously incompetent first. Like you have to realize like, shit, I don't know what. Yeah. Like, yes. You have to realize, right? I don't know. And shit, I need to improve. Need so to improve. now I can be yeah. consciously competent because I'm working on this and I'm actually paying attention to it. And then you raise to the level of one day you just start doing it. And so hopefully that's where people can kind of get to eventually in their career with some of this conversation that we've had, Mark. Thank you so much for this. It's been a pleasure as always. What's, uh, Thanks for having me, man. It's a great time. Where do you want people to go? I know you're doing some awesome stuff. You're putting some great content out there. So uh, where, where's the best place for people to find? Thanks, man. Yeah, I've abandoned TikTok entirely. Um, we could talk about that on a separate show, but LinkedIn is the best place to get my content. You can just type in my name, Mark Raffin, or go to our website at negotiations.ninja or listen to our podcast, Negotiations Ninja Podcast. It's negotiations with an S, Ninja. And it's Mark Raffin, R-A-F-F-A-N. Go check him out. Go consume his content. Uh, I always say, Mark, um, you know, my tra my negotiation training is kind of more of like a foundational core um, piece to to kind of get that common language going. And then if you really want that second layer, that's third layer to go check out Negotiations Ninja, you know, read a few other books and stuff like that because the nuances matter in negotiations. But we have to have that foundation to give us a, a fighting chance here. So I appreciate everything you do. Thanks, man. In much the same way that I could say, hey, I can teach you something in sales, but if you want the expert, you got to go to Jay Barrows and team. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for listening, everybody. Hopefully you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. And like I always say at the end of all my podcasts here, look, go out there and make somebody smile today. Because uh, no matter how bad you think your day went, if you make somebody smile today, you know you had a good day and the world needs a lot more of that these days. So thank you all very much for listening. I'll see you on the other side. Thank you so much for your time today and listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. With your support and our incredible guests, we're one of the top sales podcasts in the industry with over a million downloads, and I can't thank you enough. To keep the momentum going, if you could go to your favorite podcast platform and leave us a five-star review, I would greatly appreciate it. In return, I will answer any question that you have on Instagram. Hit me up there at John Amazon Michael Barrows with a video question or a DM, and I will get right back to you, I promise. And last but not least, if you're looking for training, I'm adjusting my training approach this year, and I'm actually going to be delivering training to the masses. I'll be delivering live training the first and second week of every single month with our two marquee courses filling the funnel and driving a close to anybody who wants to join. And it includes membership in our on-demand platform with weekly AMAs. So you can go to jbarrows.com slash open to check out the details. Thanks again and have a great day.